0: Hey, welcome, ABF Online. We're so glad that you are ready to worship. Let's go before the Lord and prepare our hearts. Let's worship. Oh, thank you so much, worship team. I always love worshiping uh, with you. Hey, we have so many things to talk about uh, this weekend. We're glad you're watching from home or wherever you're watching this from. So remember, we always want to pray for you. And so text us at 97,9700. And our heart is to pray for you. So let us know how we can support you in prayer. Now, there's a few other things that you should be aware of. As you know, the Caneo Valley Meal Program is on Monday, August 9th, and we still have a few more items that we need, so go ahead and get signed up for those. And again, bring those on Monday the 9th in the afternoon. Our team will assemble it and then deliver those meals over at Holy Trinity. And then um, out of an abundance of caution, you've probably heard that uh, we have postponed the men's retreat. Actually, it's morphed into a new event called One Day Revisited. One day, we did that last year when we had to cancel the retreat and that'll be on October 16th. Because of uh, the COVID cases that came back from Hume, out of abundance of caution, we just felt like an overnight uh, retreat may not be in the best interests of our men. So we are coming back together on the 16th. Joe Basil's still coming down and we've expanded one day to include 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. that'll include lunch and dinner, and a great 12 hours of uh, connecting together. But we are still having our beach baptism. That's coming up on August 29th. There'll be an informational class on August 22nd, right after uh, the first service over in the well. You'll uh, go online to download your information form, bring that with you. And then we have a short little orientation class, and we'll make sure we got everybody dialed in for our baptism on August 29th, 2 p.m., at Zuma Beach. Then, uh, also because of what's going on around us right now, we've moved the hoedown from August to October 2nd and 3rd. Just a date change. We're going to pivot to October 2nd and 3rd. Still all the same things, a barbecue, sleepover, tents, pancake breakfast the next day, line dancing, the whole nine yards. That'll be happening on October 2nd and 3rd instead of this August. And then lastly, as you know, we're trying to expand our media presence both through Instagram and Facebook. And so as you have pictures, make sure you get those to sang and to those on our team here so that we can uh, expand our footprint out there. And so thanks so much. And then again, during this difficult time this summer, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for continuing to give, to not uh, forget about us, even though you're worshiping um, at a distance, uh, we thank you for your gifting and again, as always, you can pay online or give online and or send a check and all those different ways so again, so glad that uh, you are w- with us today and now uh, prepare your hearts as Pastor Scott starts this new series right now
1: well, thank you, worship team and thank you John, for leading us thus far so good to be with you. It's uh, never a dull moment in the life of a pastor is what I've uh, realized. After uh, the group from Hume getting back on Saturday, we went into to kind of solve uh, the situation mode. We're trying to make wise decisions with some degree of COVID exposure and we're still seeking the Lord on that. And so that was the, the start of the week. And then a couple days into that, discovering my own daughter uh, was one of the people that ended up with COVID. So I having COVID in the household is kind of an interesting dynamic. What does that look like uh, to quarantine from your own child? So that's been a fun stretch. And then a couple of uh, days after that, well, like Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, suffering from just uh, back-to-back migraines. You can pray for that in my life. Those seem to be increasing. And so never a dull moment because after I was through that, and I'm actually starting to get a chance to work through the text, which happens to be that I'm preaching uh, on, uh, on Sunday, which would have been a birthday message. I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, after a tough week, what it does the Lord have for me to share with our congregation? Looking forward to spending some time in his word. I start working through Second Thessalonians, which we're starting that series, and looking at chapter 1, and the majority of it, is talking about God's judgment and what hell is going to be like. I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, couldn't there be another passage about hope? And and, and, But here's what I realized after digging into it a little bit deeper. You start to realize as sobering as it might be, it's still jam-packed with hope. So we're starting this new series in 2 Thessalonians, and I've entitled it Stand Firm, because sometimes you're in stretches and seasons of life where really that's all we're able to do, just to stand firm. I don't know how many people are listening to this message, and maybe you're in that exact same season of life, you're in a stand firm season, but my hope and my prayer is that God meets us exactly where we're at through this text. Let me just pray before we begin this series. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather. And uh, even though it's a, a unique situation uh, this week with some uh, people here that are family that aren't able to be around and, and others uh, connecting online, God, we ask that you'd meet us exactly where we're at. We ask that you continue to uh, protect our church family. Thank you for even the, uh, the news and reports of uh, the different cases of uh, COVID within our student ministry uh, being, being minor. Thank you for the protection for Adrian and I thus far. Uh, God, we ask that you just use this time now in your word, that you'd speak to us directly. I thank you for uh, how consistent you are and personal you are, uh, even in the way that we encounter you. We invite this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, starting in this uh, series, I'm just going to start with the first couple of verses in 2 Thessalonians 1. would be grateful if you follow along with me, especially easier if you're online to do that. And as we look at this, I'll start with a little bit of a, a setup, although we had a bit of that in 1 Thessalonians. A couple of reminders, but let me just start with the first two verses. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll pause there, so we're introduced to who's writing, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So he's kind of writing, Paul writing, but on behalf of the three of them, who are ministry partners, The audience was the Thessalonians, which was basically a new believing church in the city of Thessalonica. You can still visit that city today in Greece. It's named Thessalonica, and it's really, it's actually the, the largest city in Greece present day. I love that the accounts in scripture aren't just a once upon a time in Narnia type stories, but places you can still visit today. It was the capital city of the region back in that time with about, they estimate about 200,000 people living there. It was a Roman colony and in that Roman colony, the position of its, uh, where it was uh, located was like a protected seaport. So a lot of of wealth because of trade. I've talked about this in our first series in 1 Thessalonians, kind of the long beach, if you will, of that day. You can read about Paul's visit to the city in Acts chapter 17 on his second missionary journey. He had the same routine as he typically does, first going to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. There was a response, though, in this city where many embraced the gospel and a little A birth, there's a little birthing of a young church there, and that's who he's writing to. But after a, a season there of investing in those people and pouring into them, Paul was actually forced to flee for his life from some of the opposing Jews that were determined to see Paul killed. That was the last time that he had a chance to speak to these people. So kind of sneaking out in the middle of the night and he didn't have a chance to be back, but he had a chance to hear reports from Timothy who had stuck around for a while, how things were going in the church. And Timothy had some really encouraging and positive things to say about this group of believers, but he also had a few things, areas of growth. So Paul in First Thessalonians addresses both, celebrates the good, and then he points out some areas of growth. What we see in this second book is a lot of those exact same areas that needed to be addressed still need to be addressed. They hadn't been solved yet. God hadn't had a ch- chance to work those out in the believer's life. So Paul starts the second letter with some encouragement, but he ultimately moves to some area of instruction. I don't know if there's anybody in our audience that needs to hear things more than once in order for it to take root, and for, in order for us to realize that we need to change something in our patterns of behavior. But that's what's happening here You don't have to look very far in your own life to realize how prevalent that is. Ask my wife, Adrienne, sometime how often she has to remind me to bring my own cup of water to bed that I shouldn't drink her water. So that's my silly thing that I bring up. I'm sure there's a lot more serious things that the Lord has to just continue to hit me over the head with in order for me to realize that change is needed so he starts this letter with a, a greeting to this church in Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, and he refers to them, he refers to them in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a true church of believers. There are operating in Christ. That's really the picture and really the mode of existence that every single one of us is called to. L- operating with him at the center of our life and our routine and our direction. So he's greeting them with a word of encouragement. Then he says kind of his traditional statement. And uh, it's hard to find a greeting from Paul that doesn't include this where he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Grace and peace is always what he wishes for them and prays for them. Well, first you realize, I've talked about this before, the pattern of that is it starts with grace because no one is capable of experiencing peace unless they first experience God's amazing grace. Otherwise, there's enmity between us and God. So, first embrace grace and then experience peace is the pattern, and that's the greeting in Paul's letter here. He starts in verse 3 with some areas of genuine thanksgiving for this group. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecution and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul is an excellent example of a leader here. You maybe maybe have noticed this in both letters. He always celebrates what he sees God doing in a person's life before he mentions growth areas. And I'll tell you, we could glean something from that, especially those of us that are parents, making sure that we take time to recognize and celebrate areas where they're, uh, they're, they're growing and, and, and moving forward, rather than consistently going to areas that you see shortcomings, especially for us as parents. We've had a fun time just with our three kids this last week. A little bit more time together probably than usual in quarantine. And in that time together, it's been fun to just hear different stories from camp. And they keep coming up with uh, experiences from their time at Hume. And one of the things that they're telling us about the other day was one of the, the, the small group questions that they had was asking about where they found their confidence. What are some different areas that they're confident in? It was a beautiful opportunity for Adrian and I to take some time with each of the three kids to point out some areas that we see God doing a work in them. Some characteristics that we're seeing uh, develop and grow in their life. I would commend that. Really, for all of us, having opportunity, whether it's your child, whether it's a close friend, whether it's uh, even a co-worker, looking for opportunities to celebrate maybe where you're seeing God do something or where he's moving in their life. Find it interesting, says, ought to always, ought always to give thanks to God for you as is right. It's really the idea. We should look around our circle and anyone that we know that's following Jesus Christ in our family, in our relationships, we should take time, for one, to celebrate and point out things to them, but also taking time to thank God. When was the last time that you slowed down enough around someone in your circle of Christ followers that you know to be, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in their life. Thank you for how you're transforming them. Any change that's happening in someone's life, he's the root cause of it. So it's that's why it says, give thanks to God as is right. What does he actually celebrate with these guys specifically? The first thing he he points to is that their faith is growing abundantly. Abundance, a great word because it's this idea of it just snowballing and, and taking off. And what's this taking off? He's saying their faith. Their faith in what? Not just faith in the the universe or in the stars, it's more specifically. They're more convinced Jesus is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. In other words, there's a growing confidence in the Lord. Yes, we come to the Lord through faith, that's accurate. But our faith should be something that's advancing, that we're trusting him more and more as he has a track record of faithfulness in your life. So he celebrates that with them. He also celebrates, in addition to that, their love for each other increasing. That should really be the mark of anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Just a growing love for people. That's not something that you ever arrive at that you have a checklist. You're like, all right, I got that love thing down. Let's now let's move on to the next thing. No, that's intended to be something that we continue moving forward with and advancing in the longer we follow the Lord. And what does that love look like? If Jesus is the model and example that we're following, that love looks like sacrifice. That's what he demonstrated for us. It's not this warm, fuzzy feeling for people. It's demonstrated, true love is demonstrated in sacrifice. So my question for us, would somebody looking at your life celebrate the same thing. Man, they're just, they just choose when, at every opportunity to be able to put the, someone else's needs above their own. That's supposed to be a growing thing in the life of a believer, and it's celebrated with this church. It's a big deal that they're getting some of these core things right, growing in their faith, growing in their love. It's kind of cool to think about that, that he's uh, mentioning these things and celebrating these things as he talks to other churches. I like that idea. He says steadfast, that they're steadfast and faith in all your persecution and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Steadfastness, here's the idea of staying the course with something not thrown by the miserable circumstances. Notice it mentions two things there. It talks about in faith in all your persecutions and afflictions. Here's the idea is afflictions are our miserable circumstances, the things that just cross our paths, living in a broken, fallen world. And the second, persecutions is more specific. People that are rising up against you because of your choice to follow Jesus Christ. Usually the Christ follower has kind of the package deal there. You get a little bit of both. And so my question for us, how are we doing with steadfastness? As we've received quite a bit in 2020 and 2021, quite a bit for sure of affliction. How are we doing with staying the course or have our circumstances gotten us off track? We've lost track of some of our healthy spiritual habits. We've lost track of being connected in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. My question for us, how is our steadfastness in this season? That's when it's so critical. When we're in the midst of persecution and affliction, that's what he celebrates with this young church. We'll continue to look at his letter. This moves towards a little bit more intense in verse 5. Take a look. It says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. With his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. We'll stop there. Pretty intense section. I've labeled that terrifying reality, but also sustaining hope. What does he start with? He says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, the trials, the, pers- the affliction, the persecution, the things you are going through is evidence of, of the righteous judgment of God, you're like, wait a second. I, I I typically associate or assume that God has abandoned me when I'm going through trying times, that, that He's forgotten about me. But it's actually just the opposite, as the, His righteous judgment has deemed that you going through miserable rough stuff is acceptable. That's okay. As the perfect judge, he's saying that that's that's a, a good thing because for a couple of reasons we see here, his eternal purposes are being accomplished through us. And second, justice is on the horizon. This is a sobering hope that I'm referring to here where it says God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Sometimes when we're going through the misery of walking just certain days of this life, you start asking yourself some tough questions about the world around us. Man, what is going to happen with all of the wicked people on this planet? It sure seems like everyone is getting away with their crimes and doing whatever it is they want without consequence. It almost seems you almost could be convinced that nobody notices or nobody cares, and there's no accountability. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. The reality is, there's a judge that's observing all of it, and at one point, there's going to be justice that's brought to those who afflict, those who reject the Lord. This is probably the most detailed and terrifying account of the Lord's judgment outside of the book of Revelations, interesting because regardless, it says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict us. Regardless of what we think justice should look like, our maker believes that consequence is demanded. Consequence is demanded. And he describes that, that consequence here in our text. Two parts of punishment is mentioned. The first part is horrifying. Eternal destruction can't even fathom what that's like. Other places in scripture, it's described as having the weeping and gnashing of teeth, those who are cast into utter darkness. What does that look like? Especially when you hear the word eternal attached to it. Imagine, just play that out, even just wrestling through that. 100,000 years, 500,000 years. What does eternal look like? All of a sudden, when you look at things through that lens, that that much is at stake here in scripture, you all of a sudden realize that this life isn't just a game. Hey, I'm not trying to on my birthday sermon to, uh, to bum us all out, but here's the reality. Sometimes I think in America, we can get so caught up in the good times and the pleasures and forget how serious and what the stakes are for those around us in this life. For those around us, it's a a big deal what they do with Jesus Christ. So he first mentions eternal destruction. Second, is away from the presence of the Lord. It's really, if you think about it, almost synonymous because both are equally connected. Imagine spending eternity separated from God, our source of of life. But here's the reality, he's not just the source of life, he's also the source of love. He's also the source of all things that are good. He's not just loving and he doesn't just do good things, he's the essence of it. It all stems from him. So imagine eternity separated from just those two aspects of his character, love and goodness. This is what's at stake here. Sometimes people read this and we get thinking to ourselves, man, this seems like it's like it's just a, a hellfire and brimstone message. It seems like Paul always moves that direction and Jesus was more about love and grace. I, I think I prefer the, the accounts of Jesus' life and his teaching. Truth is, sometimes if you can buy into that thinking, you maybe need to reread your red letters. Because spend any time looking at Jesus' teaching specifically in the Gospels, and it's splashed all over. His very first sermon, he was talking about the gates of hell. He referred to the, the leaders, the religious leaders in his day as sons of hell. It was a consistent topic in his teaching. So here's the problem. If judgment seems too great, then we underestimate how serious the crime to reject your maker and his provision for your rescue. Because just because the ramifications are delayed, we can start to think that our sin is not that big of a deal, but it's an offense to a perfect God that demands consequence. And that delay in consequence doesn't mean that it's still not on the horizon. Just because the ramifications are delayed. We get so accustomed to to mercy that we even begin to think that divine justice is unfair. But here's the reality according to this passage, punishment matches, our punishment matches the crime, and He's the judge. Doesn't matter what you think or I think about justice, it matters what the judge determines about justice. And he says that our willful rejection of his leadership and then our continued willful rejection of his the provision of his son demands consequence and who could ever give that judge a hard time the judge that came down off of the the seat of his throne to come down and live amongst us and allow us to uh, put him to death on a cruel roman cross all of a sudden you can't stand any kind of a, you can't stand with any type of a complaint about his justice when you realize the measures that he went attempting to reach out to us. And also what you don't realize is he's just being a gentleman and responding to our preferences. If we our entire life Tell the Lord by our actions, by our rejection of relationship with him and the provision of his son. If we spend our entire life rejecting that, he's just giving us our preference. But we don't realize that we're a part of the ultimate tragedy in that rejection, rejecting the source of life. So he points to those two miserable things, but he also points to the potential to be restored in the text. Those who, two different categories. It describes one, those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. In other words, those who reject the idea of Jesus coming down to earth, dying on a cross, rising again on, a th- on the third day, providing the opportunity for payment for your sin. Or the second possibility, so that's one group of people, or this group where it says, our testimony to you was believed. The second group, that actually believed in that account that I just described. Jesus coming down on a rescue mission, asking, inviting us to be back in relationship. Belief determines our eternal destination either way. For those of us that are maybe listening to this and have never actually wrestled through this decision, my hope and my prayer is that you wouldn't move past this section of the sermon without giving that heavy consideration. Have I ever embrace the finished work of Jesus Christ in my life? Have I called out to him? Have I acknowledged my sin? Have I called out to him, embraced his forgiveness? Or have I just going my own way? You see, the reality is just by ignoring it means you actually are making a decision. Here he's describing not just consequence, it's also describing what's to come for those of us who have put their trust in. And hope in Jesus Christ, he describes the one that there'll be justice for those who have mistreated us. There's justice coming, and as I mentioned, probably even more intense that we would ever hope for somebody else. So those of us that are bent on trying to get even with somebody or carrying out our own justice or our own vengeance, man, just keep going back to what's on the horizon for those who aren't in Christ. It more than meets our criteria. Of justice, He promises also here that those who are in Christ will experience relief. You notice that he doesn't promise it on this side of eternity, though. He talks about it coming when the Lord returns. There's going to be a day when he shows up with his angels, and all of a sudden, all of the things that we've been mocked for, that we've been made fun of, we've been called crazy lunatics for believing, is going to be revealed like that it describes that it actually uses that when he's glorified here and all of us are marvelled at the sight of him he's finally revealed it's interesting that word that the lord is revealed because you're like wait a second he's already been here why is he being revealed well, upon his first arrival the people that saw him and encountered him the majority of them didn't recognize who he was they 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 rejected his claims of deity. They rejected his claims of coming for their rescue. Well, this second arrival of Jesus Christ, where it says that he'll be revealed, there won't be any question marks at that point as to who he is. Finally, he'll be revealed and people will know who he is. It's our job, in the meantime, before that day of his return to warn as many people as possible about this. Scripture is so packed with that reality that we're called to go and make disciples, tell people about the hope of Jesus Christ that can pull them from eternal destruction and separation from God into permanent presence with him and the perfect eternity. I like listening to John MacArthur's account of this exact same section He's pointing to Ezekiel 33, where God directly or specifically charges Ezekiel with reaching out to the lost world that he was surrounded with. This is what he says in Ezekiel 33, 5 through 6. He says, "...but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity." but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. In other words, there's accountability for us. And if you think about it, how selfish do we have to be that we have the rescue opportunity, but we wouldn't be willing to share it with those in our circles? Why would that be? It doesn't make any sense. We'll continue in the text where he moves from this conversation to a a beautiful and powerful prayer for this young church. Verse 11 says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, another beautiful picture of Paul's leadership with a powerful prayer here. You'll notice if you do any study of Paul's prayers for the church, you will not find him praying for them to have relief from their persecution or from their affliction. He's not asking the Lord to shorten that. He understands that there's a purpose in shaping and transforming us towards godliness through that. He's saying that here, he says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. What does that look like? What does it mean to be worthy of his calling? not us trying to be, be adequate or to meet his perfect demands, but it's the whole idea of us aligning our actions with our identity. Not because we're trying to earn it, it's impossible, but it's the appropriate response to the grace that we've experienced. He describes something else in his prayer to them, and it's a pretty cool statement. He prays for them that they may fulfill every resolve for good. Think about that statement for a second. It's a cool one. Anybody here have any resolves for good? Things that in your mind, you're like, man, I need to start doing this. I need to start reading my Bible more. I need to ta- start talking. Man, I just heard the, the, the pastor talking about sharing Christ with people. Man, I need to start doing that more. I need to start having conversations with my kids and encouraging them. You have all of these things that run through our mind of resolves for good. Things that we want to do at some point. It's kind of cool to think that that's what Paul is praying for this church. All the things that are in your mind might actually move to fruition. It's not just an idea stage. He's praying that it'll come and actually move towards result. It's a beautiful prayer that any one of us could pray for somebody that we care about. And he prays that they accomplish every work of faith by his power. You think about what is a, a work of faith. Anything that's done in Jesus' name is a work of faith. Because think about it. If you're saying, I'm doing this because of Jesus Christ, that's an act of faith. You believe in him, which then compels you to act. So he's saying, I want to get behind that. And in his power that we would accomplish those things that he's, that the Lord has laid on our heart, that's placed a burden in us. I, I love stories of different people in our church that have different passions that he's given us that are stirred by their faith in Jesus Christ. And for the to act out on that, to have opportunity to put that into uh, execution. So here's the outcome of all of this. Notice as he continues, and every work of faith by his power, so that, verse 12, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. That's the intention of all of this. Not so we can say, look what I did or look how awesome I am. Look at this accomplishment. I had these goals and I I checked all of them off the box. I had this thing that the Lord laid on my heart and look, I did it. That's not it. The whole idea is to glorify God through our actions. This idea of glorified is to make him look as amazing as he really is. I like that definition of being glor- him being glorified. Make him look as amazing as he really is. We were just on vacation a couple of weeks back in the place that we were staying uh, that we had rented a pretty old school television. We were all excited to, to see the Olympics, but as we start watching the Olympics, man, we're like having to squint. It's all this blurry account of just these unbelievable athletic feats. And you're just like, I think they just threw that shot put, but it was kind of a blur in the air. I'm not really sure what's happening there. I think she, the American won that race or whatever it might be. But here's the cool thing. When we got back from, uh, back from vacation, we got back to our house. Now we've been watching some of the Olympics in HD. It's actually pretty cool to see the progression of televisions and how they've advanced. And you're just like, man, it, you, it went from being in those blurry days to all of a sudden crystal clear. You see every aspect. Man, it's been cool even just watching some of these diving competitions, the perfect unison in which they land in the water. You see every single splash. I think that's the idea of the Christian life that we're getting here is that our life every single year should be giving more and more a, a clearer and more crisp view of God's glory, who he is in and through us. That's the picture here that he's praying for. Man, I want these believers that are growing in faith, that are growing in love to, for that to be amplified for the ultimate end cause of God being glorified. You see, God is glorified in all of this, whether it's His justice and righteousness or whether it's His goodness and grace. Either way, He's glorified in and through our lives. I know this is kind of a, a sobering passage as we talk about hell and eternal consequence, but my uh, prayer is that it would also be a source of hope. It gives us a a glimpse of, of what's to come. And it also sets the course for our marching orders because there's so much at stake in this life. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be in your word and the sobering reminder of what's on the other end of this if we don't embrace Jesus Christ. Can't even wrap my mind around what eternity looks like. My prayer is even in these moments as we're closing this service, that the person that's been listening to this, that's been teetering, that's never made a decision, they might make the choice today to call out to you, to embrace your finished work, to acknowledge their sin, and to make you the Lord and leader of their life. God, I pray that that would even happen in these moments on this video. God, we thank you for the relief that you promised that we're going to be refreshed. It might not be in this lifetime, but on the other side of it, man, we have an eternity and a hope that's unbelievable. We thank you for that consistent reminder. Seems like it's almost week after week in the different passages we find ourselves, that exact same hope that we keep pointing to. I pray that that compels us and keeps us standing firm, even during seasons that seem a bit crazy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Feel church family. Well, thanks again for being a part of this service. Hopefully you've been blessed and encouraged by this. For those of you that are are Hume Lake people that are at home watching this, just know that you're loved. We miss you. Excited to be back all together as a church family as soon as possible. God bless you. Have an amazing day.